You take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you are married, I know many of you are, I would encourage you, if, if at all possible, if you are available at 9.30 on, on Sunday mornings, that uh, you check out the class beginning Sunday. I think you will find it very helpful. And not, and not just going to the class because you happen to be married in the class of married life, but just the development of, of accountability, a fellowship together, a group, another believer you happen to go to. And it's important that it's a proven fact that we can come to church and you can enjoy the music really good through and put up with the tolerable. And you can try to, try to take a nap. That's all right. But it's important the way that we become the hands of the Lord and is that we get involved in each other's lives, that we care about one another. And I was talking about the connect cards earlier and as we pray for each other and, and I keep those. Many of them, I make copies of the one prayer request. If a prayer request that comes from both campus prayer lists and then I keep ones and I contact into That reminds me that I can be involved in lives, be involved in each other's lives and pray for one. Yesterday, in the help group at Bartlett and I mean, things exploded. We had 330 families come close and it's only going to get bigger especially the weather's colder and we could do that together as the body of christ i saw some people there i hadn't a long time it's kind of self agreed i got to see everybody i'm good at smiling and hello so i can do that nothing else and one of our missionaries in town a few months been from orlando crew crank campus aid and they're going from orlando to a new part of crew in new york city and they have to raise support for that i hope in a couple will have them some of that with you but that's extremely expensive. It costs a little bit more than the city does in Orlando or probably in the world. So it's interesting. great. They were just there. I walked in. I didn't know they were going to be there. I walked in there. They're there. And out food like everybody else. I got to see that. It's just kind of special. And I've known Stephen Robin Ronk. I knew him years ago before they ever went and were involved together in Bartlett. And like Madden Star Arnold, I don't get them. But about one year, every day, I have picked them on our refrigerator to pray for them. I have them on my desk here and at home. And reminder to pray for Winnie Whitmore and others of our mission. Ron C. Shireen. And it's a reminder, a very special reminder, that when we give, we give. Part of that every week goes toward us being able to be part of their ministry. Really important. And there's nothing, sometimes I think, forget. There is nothing more significant that we do as believers than pray for each other. It's absolutely our lifeline to God and our lifeline to each other. You know and I know that we pray for one another. That God works through our prayers. Do that, and we don't understand how all that works. But it's good for me. It's good for spirits to spend time alone with the Lord praying each other. So, having said that again, if you can avail yourself as part of that class, I will find it beneficial. All right, take your hand out. And you notice it says at the top of it, Heavenly Walk. We began last week to look at this idea as we're going through this series of living in full joy and having attitudes of a life of joy. We began to look last week at this particular part of Philippians chapter 2nd on the 15th through 21 on walking. And that's really a euphemism Paul uses of how to live on a daily basis. So I thought what I'd do is I'm going to play that song, song Walk Like Egyptian. Who did that? Anybody remember? I knew you know. You ate, is that an 80s song? I figured it probably was. I, I'm going to have Peter come up here and show you how to do that. How to walk. Like, I was going to do it, but I figured I'd hurt myself and or break something. So it's interesting. We need to remember. Look at verse 20. It's kind of the, the important context of this section. Look at verse 20, and then we're going to go back and, and work through this. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Stop there. Our citizenship is in heaven. We will get to that part a little later. But here's the, the gist of what I want us to think about as we think about heavenly walk. How I live every day is based on the fact I don't live here. How I live every day is based on the fact I don't live here. told you last week the best way for me to look at it, and I kind of communicate it, is I'm on vacation for God. When you go on vacation, sooner or later, what happens? Whether you want to or not, what do you do? You go home. We're going to Destin in a few weeks, several other family church, and I love going down there. I love playing golf down there. I love being down there. I just love. So Mary and I have decided we're not coming back. 
We hadn't told our kids yet, but uh-oh, one of them's here. So we love to go down there and just, Mary, Mary hates the beach. She just likes to go down there to be with her grandkids, her children, put up with me. And, and every now and then she'll go down to the pool. She don't do sun. That's why she looks like she did in high school. By the way, it's not right. You need to look like left. But I was joking with her the other day. It came up in front of our house. We've been married 40. I don't know if you know that. I just, we've been married 41 years as of August 24th. She doesn't normally know I have. 41 years. And we pulled up the other day in the driveway. We look at bushes. She said, I, I don't. She said, never mind. I'll do it. And my, and my, and my penultimate wisdom said, the next bush you. Now, when I woke up from that coma she put me in, I realized that wasn't a wise thing to say. Heavenly walk. How do you live? Every day. Every day. I live like I'm vacation for God. And one day I get to. I think so many times, even though we say it, we tend to forget that for me as a believer, my mindset is I'm a citizen of heaven. That's what governs my life. That's what was my life. What does the Lord want? Not what do my peers want, not what I want. What does the Lord want with this man, this moment, in time, in relationship with my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my friends, my congregation, where God is placed, what I do, my neighbors, my community, where you work, everywhere you go to school, every place that God places you, he says, you are ambassador there. You represent God. You walk like an Egyptian. You walk like someone who's from heaven. So if you'll notice last week, we talked about number one and number two. Hit those highlights, then we're going to get into number three today. Number one is in this attitude, Paul's exhorting them on how to walk. And the idea was that you focus your mind every day as you live, as you walk. You focus your mind on the prize, what's been given to you in Jesus Christ. And the ultimate goal, you have a single-minded focus. We're not going to go back over all that. We've done it. But also, in the daily living, you accept the discipline of God. Because there are going to be times in your life you let God down. Yes or no? Like in me? Absolutely. On a regular basis, I let God down. And I have to understand there are times God's going to discipline me, just like your children do. If they love it, you discipline. Like last week, we told them, can I have another? They probably don't do that. But I need to understand that when God disciplines me, it's always, always, always the best thing for me. I make mistakes as a father. Didn't make mistakes. I make mistakes as a grandfather. I make mistakes as a human being. But God doesn't. Never. Ever. Not one time. So in my life, when God has to discipline me, whether it's through, uh, uh, he uses a circumstance or individual, or uses the conviction of the Holy Spirit, or as I'm in the Word of God, and, or I, and, I, and I understand that I've done something wrong, sometimes God has to, I have to be willing to accept that, learn, learn from it, grow from it, and get back focused on the prize. And I live daily with that mindset. Paul said, that's walking, son of heaven. Encouragement to do that. That's who you are. But then he said in verse, in verse 17, look at, as a matter of fact, let's start in verse 17. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now here's the idea. Here's what he's saying. We talked about this last week, so we're not going to go over it in great detail. This is why this is so important, what we do as Christians together. Here's what Paul is saying. I was on a certain path in my life, Saul of Tarsus, we, we know the story and how he was persecuted. That's what he did and on the road to Damascus. Jesus miraculously saves him, says, I've got a job for you. You're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You're the apostle of the Gentiles. And he said, now, note those who live that way. He said, God, Jesus saved me. He's given me a, a, a ministry, a job, a calling, just like he has in your life. And so I imitate Christ. He says, you do the same. Imitate Jesus Christ. Paul's calling to be the apostle of Gentiles and obviously write a section of the New Testament. You're not writing a significant portion of Scripture, but every day God has called you to walk as a believer, a citizen of heaven, where he's placed you. And Peter says that calling of your life is just significant as theirs. Different, different, but significant for the kingdom of God where he has you right now. So here's what he says, and it's why where it comes in us being believers together. 
We all follow the same example, Jesus Christ. We're saved by Christ. We live for Christ. Christ in us lives out. We want to be like Christ, live our lives every day. He said, note those who live that way and then follow them. See what they're doing. Be involved in their lives. In other words, it'd be easy for Randy to stand up here and say, I'm a Christian. It's what Jesus has done in my life. But then if you're around me and you see me and I don't live that way, you're going to believe. You're going to believe what I do, not what I say. By the way, your children are the same way. I may give it lip service, but they're going to see the life service. And that's what they're going to believe. That's what they're going to follow. So here's what Paul says. Note those who walk that way. Specifically, he's talking about himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus in the immediate context of this book. In your life, it might be the person sitting next to you. It could be somebody else in this congregation. It could be somebody you know that you work with. It could be a believer who's been had a, a, a powerful influence in your life along the way. It could be a family member. It may not be. I was uh, talking to Rhett Butler this morning, and I've known Rhett for a long time. Rhett's one of our elders. My son grew up at church as a young man. He always looked up to Rhett and Russ, some other people. We were talking about uh, how I can say something to my, and it's always been this way, I can say something to my son when he was a teenager, but even now as an adult, I can say something to him that I think is really profound, which I do on a regular basis. I can say, and because he's my son, particularly when he was a teenager, where did that go? Or through this hole right here he called Ukrainian. It just went one ear and out the other because I'm his dad. I don't know anything. I could go to Red Butler or Russ Bingham. I could say, would you go to Andy and say the following? Here, I'll give you a note card. And he'd come on. He'd go, Dad, I think I'm going to marry a joke about it now. And he was struggling. He loved college. He just didn't like the idea of class study. But it was cool being in college now. And I kept saying, you need, you know, you need a class. That's kind of part of it. You need to pay attention. You want to keep that scholarship, which also he didn't. But if you want to keep that scholarship and not have to go on student loans, you might want to try going and making these instead of And he didn't think I knew it. Then he got married. And while he was engaged, I mentioned his wife. And she got his attention. That's his wife. It got his attention. Exact same thing I'd been mom saying. You need to find godly example. Attach yourself to note. Follow them. Now, let's look at number three today. This where, look at verse 18. Paul's exhorted them to live, a citizen of heaven, to get involved within the church, note the godly example, follow them. Then he throws a caution out there that we're going to focus on our enemies. There are enemies of this walk. There are those even in your midst who are enemies of you, the Christ you follow, the Christ you want to emulate. And notice how he puts it, verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. Notice the end of verse 17 leading into 18. You have us for a pattern. He's saying, just a reminder, you have me, you have Timothy, you have Epaphroditus and others in your life. You have people you know that are genuine believers. You see how they live. And he's saying, notice the beginning of verse 17, 18. For, for many walk. Or live on a daily basis of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. See that? He's saying, note the ones in your midst that are genuine, that practice, preach. They live out truth. They don't talk about it real. They live it because there are many, many, see that little word? There are many in your midst that are enemies, the cross of Christ. That's a pretty powerful statement. Because just for a moment, look up here. We began this series in Philippi. We talked about church Philippi. What did Paul think of this church? It was his joy and crown. He started it. He loved these people. So proud of them. He, he bragged on them. They gave when nobody else gave. And they were interested in even beyond their ability to give, they wanted to give. These, this was a good group of people. This was a good church. And he's saying, in your midst, in your midst, even in a good church, there are many, many who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Just for a moment, think. Did the Apostle Paul 
knee, Saul of Tarsus. He don't know what it meant to the cross of Christ. It was his job. It was his job. That's who he was. He was their number one enemy. They had a post office. He was at the top of the list. That's what he did. He went around as the hitman, the Sanhedrin, for those that were following Jesus. So he understood what it meant to be an enemy of the cross of Christ, didn't he? He said, I'm telling you, in your midst right now, there are many. Notice what else he says about them. I've spoken about this to you often. See that little phrase? I've spoken to you about this often. In other words, this had been a regular part of his conversation, right? It had been a regular part of his teaching. For them to understand, there are going to be people that come into your midst that look good, talk good, but they're enemies. He says you need to note them. Note the enemies, just like note the ones you want to follow. Also note, mark out their enemies. Notice the next thing he says about this. Verses 18, very powerful. And I now, he said, I've talked about this a lot. One more time, let me tell you, even weeping, weeping, crying. This is the only place in the New Testament or only, the only place in the writings of Paul where in the present tense he talks about crying. He said, these guys are in you. Remember, he loved this church. He loved everybody he dealt with. The Philippians were very close. He loved them. And he says, it brings me to when I think about. But I want you to notice, think about, it's not just why is he weeping about this. Number one, he's weeping because they are there. They are there. Let me share a past heart with you for it's one thing for Randy to have enemies. I know I do. It's one thing for Randy to have people besides him. I know it happens. But you know what really hurts past? It's when it gets, when it hurts. Them. Because we have a calling on to protect, to teach, to guide. God loves his, he loves him. And he gives us a shepherd Christ for us to lead, an elder, pastor. And it's such a hard to, when you know that sheep, all you could do, that hurts, brings me to notice that, they, and they're hurting. But also, he loved those people who were the enemies. Please don't miss that. He loved them. Those people that were in the camp that were the enemies of the cross of Christ, Paul loved them as well. What did Jesus say about your enemies? Who had, did Jesus have a few enemies? What did he say about them? Love them, pray for them, ask God to bless them. Even if they despitefully use you, you pray for them. You ask God to bless them. You love them. Show them you're different. Be real. You walk the walk, and ultimately, as they're walking as enemy, it will come out. He loved them. Because they were his enemy themselves, both now and eternally. Jesus said, pray for them. They are the enemy across Christ, even in your midst. For example, as Paul writes this, you go over to Acts chapter 17 sometime when you get a chance to read that chapter, part of what he dealt with it at the Greece. He's a, he's an, even as he writes this in his day, you had the Epicureans, whose philosophy was, you do whatever makes you happy. And today in America, because that's kind of where many people in our country, it makes you happy, do it. And when I was in college, feels good, do it. Whatever makes you happy, you do it. That, that philosophy was prevalent. Whatever makes you, you live pleasure. You had the Gnostic. John wrote a lot about the Gnostic. But the Gnostics basically said, what you do with your body does not matter. If the body is evil. It's only about the spirit. So whatever sin you want to commit, good, but it doesn't matter. That'd be a cool way to live. Just do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter as long as the spirit right. It's stupid. They're tied together. But that's where the Gnostic. Then you had the Judaizers. Paul dealt with a lot. We've seen them earlier in his book. But Judaizers would come along and say, okay, it's good. Jesus is the Messiah. You've got to put your faith in. But you also have to keep the law. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And that's even prevalent in the church today. So many people don't understand the freedom of Christ. And they think being a Christian is burdens, a bunch of don'ts. I've got I to gotta look a certain way. I've got to act a certain way. I've got to do these things. But Paul says you use your freedom to life to sin. There's another group called the Antinomians who said the more you sin, the more grace that abounds, a good testament. Exactly what Paul dealt with in Romans. Shall continue in that grace may abound. God forbid was answered. Even thinking literally what he 
So Paul was dealing with all of that, with creeping into the church. In Romans chapter 16, Paul writes these words in close. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Same terminology. Note those who cause divisions and offenses within the church. Contrary to the doctrine which you learn, in other words, what I've been teaching, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Exact same terminology we see. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of simple. If you don't think that's relevant today, the largest church in our country run by a man. That's what he's just good at what he does, but it's not following the Christ. Also avoid them. In 1 John 4, John writes these words. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses or agrees that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Not just that Jesus existed. That a man named Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph, existed, but that he was Christ, or the Messiah, the anointed one, Savior. He wasn't just a man of history. He was history. He is history. History is his story. He is Christ. He is God. John is saying, Paul said, Peter dealt with Peter wrote a whole book dealing with it, Second Peter. That's all he's dealing with is false teaching. They're everywhere, taking advantage, manipulating sheep. It hurt Paul, John, Peter. Who loves a fellow believer. That's why it's some learned word of God. We know the word of God. Note those, Paul said, who are following Christ's example. Follow with them. Get on that same path. Don't follow the latest trend and latest wind. And where's this going? This guy, well, he's got to be great. He sees books. It's about truth. It's about truth. All right, let's go back to Philippians and look. Verse 19, notice what he says about them. He said, in verse 18, there's many of them. I've told you about it often. Brings me to tears. They're the enemies. Now notice verse 19, he describes them. Their end, their end. Instructions. End is destruction. That's pretty straightforward, but it has two aspects to it. He's saying their end is destruction. In other words, they're going to spend eternity separate from God. That's one of the reasons he's weak because of their own lives. Just, what awaits them? They're going to be destroyed forever. But also, and more relevant to the believers at Philippi, was that in their own lives right then, they're destroying. They don't have peace. They don't have hope. They don't have genuine happiness. What's the theme of the book of Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, they weren't able to rejoice in the Lord because they were rejoicing in their false doctrine and they were herding sheep. So they didn't have peace and they didn't have hope and they didn't have that joy. And ultimately they were going to die and have lives that were destroyed because they lived lives that were destroyed because they weren't following this Christ. He's saying, note them, note them. They're in destruction, both eternity and now, life without God. Secondly, verse 19, their God is their belly. The King James word, it really means appetite. And literally what it means in Greek is their sensual desire. The first thing that comes to mind is sexually, and that's part of it. But that's not the only thing he's talking about here. It could be sensual desires, earthly desires. Their focus is not a heavenly walk. It's an earthly walk, as we'll see in a moment. Their God, what he's talking about here, their God is going to satisfy myself. It's money, food, a God is belly, whether it's sexually, relationship, whatever it might be, power. I'm going to satisfy my personal, bodily, sexual appetite. That will be my God, not me. And by the way, they're a preacher day throughout our nation, standing in pulpits. But that's what they, they don't say it that way. They say, God wants you to be wealthy. If you're a true follower of Christ, you'll always be healthy. You have to speak your reality. You have to let your faith be real and claim God has. Speak it, you will have it. I was sharing with my classes, biggest problem with, a lot of problems, but the biggest problem with that, if God simply exists as my cosmic genie to give Randy whatever Randy wants to satisfy Randy, might Randy make a mistake that he asked for? Of course. Why? 
Randy's tainted. Randy doesn't know what to always ask. Who does? God does. So my God needs to be God and my appetite needs to be, Lord, I want my manner to be what you want me to eat. I want the exact amount of money you want me to have and I want to do with it exactly what you want me to do with it. Is there a reason Paul told Timothy the love of God is the root of all kinds of evil? Yeah, there is. You know why Paul told Timothy that? Because the love of God is the root of all kinds of evil. You'd be love of money. You'd have to go back and edit that. If the love, do not let that go out on it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I guarantee you, we could go around the room. And many of you, if not all of you, somebody hurt you. Their money was more important than I know what's happened to me. Their God, it's their appetite. Their appetite, their food, their drink, self indulgent gratification. Greek mythology, there was a, a god called the Cyclops, one eye, to the listener, what he lost. Quote, my flocks which I sacrifice to no one but myself, and to this my belly, to the greatest of the gods, for to eat and drink and to give oneself no trouble. This is the god for wise men. I don't think that's relevant. Eat, drink, be merry for their glory. Next point, verse 19. Their glory is in their shame. Probably the height of all evil. Is they literally, what this means is they literally revel and boast in their sin. The things that shame them, they're proud of. For example, we don't get into going into great detail, but all week you follow, if you got a TV, all they want to talk about is Ray Rice. Even if you don't follow, he's been everywhere. And there's a whole culture, and I saw Paul George, who plays in Annapolis, and others tweeting and writing out, that not saying they deserved it, almost like that. Almost culture that, hey, any kind of abuse, any kind, that's a good thing, or that it's okay. Or to live a sexual lifestyle that mocks God and then say, it's okay. Revel in it. God, God's okay with it. That's what he's talking about. Their glory, it's the most important to them, is because if you're a false teacher, your God is yourself. And you want to manipulate others to follow your God. This is the most important form of wickedness, shame. And finally, their focus, verse 19, they set their mind on earthly earthly things. They simply live for this life. What's the title of the top of your handout? What kind of walk versus what? An earthly walk. And we have to walk on earth, but we have, how do you walk? These enemies of the cross, they walk because earth is all that matters to them. Literally, when it says they set their mind in Greek, that means they limit their horizon. They limit their horizon to this life. What did Jesus say about that? Man cannot serve both God and mammon, earthly. Man cannot serve both. He said, lay up treasure where? On earth, where it will rust, corrupt, the mosque. Lay it up on earth or lay it up where? How many people really focus their treasure? Lay up your treasure. That's what a heavenly Our daily joy is found in living for heaven right now. We're going to stop there today, and we're going to do end of the walk time. Here's what I want to do is close out. Just ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Just everybody just quietly bow your heads. In just a few moments, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And as Christians, this idea of walking the citizen of heaven is focusing on, we'll see next time, where is Jesus? He's in our midst of the Holy Spirit, but he is to heaven. And that's our focus. Jesus Christ, our advocate with in our midst, in the church in the United States, false everywhere. It's so important for us to get into the Word of God. Note those who follow them. Follow the example of Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and ones in this life. Live the Word of God. Note the enemy. Love them. Pray for them. Ask God to change, save them. But don't follow. I pray that for all of us, Lord. And I pray even as we go into sharing the Lord's Supper, to be focused on the person of Jesus Christ, walking in the of heaven. Amen.